Oh man, it's good to hear people are actually awake. Hope you're still that way when I'm done talking. You know, I've been listening to online services the last couple of weeks and hearing this Bible study that the ladies are going to be doing on, on teaching us to pray. And man, it sounds good. I wish I could be part of that. Uh, there is so much that we can do to learn about our precious Savior. And uh, praying is just one of those things where we can communicate with an almighty God that he desires for us to come into his presence. So, Anyway, just a quick commercial before I get started here. We have prayer cards, we have bookmarks, um, magnetic cards or, or paper cards. Please feel free to take what you want. Um, we have plenty of them out there. Sorry it's been so long. I know the church had asked over a year ago for us to have some new prayer cards, and, and uh, life's been a little bit difficult for us the last few years to be able to get it. Also, out on the, on the board there, there's information on the Ethnos 360 Bible Institute. If you want to get a good Bible education behind your belt, they even have online courses adults can take. Uh, Wyoming, I, have, have you folks been down to Wyoming? All right, that's great. There's, there's a couple of uh, brochures out there on that. Um, possibilities for adults and uh, college-age students to get in short-term missions, internships, uh, skilled positions, and career missionaries. Uh, just, just quite a few of these things. But there are still far too many language groups that never have heard once the name of Jesus Christ in their language. And every one of them that dies is going to hell. And folks, it's, a, it's an important task for us to be about in, in going um, more about short-term trips and uh, even college uh, credits and our interface course in New Guinea and Brazil. Uh, some great opportunities if, if the Lord is, is leading in your heart that way. Well, as the pastor said, we've had some, some health issues um, the last few years. It'll say having cancer is a gift from God. Somehow we've come to think in our culture that anything, only the good things that come into our life we deem are from God and everything else is from Satan. And God somehow doesn't have control of those things in our lives. But if we bought into that health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, even if we trust the Savior, everything that... It'll, it'll believe that everything should prosper for us. Everything will be healthy for us. We'll have everything that we want. But that isn't what Jesus had taught. He, he taught things much differently. Just a couple quick examples. You remember that uh, Jesus sends the disciples across the Sea of Galilee in a boat. And he stays behind. Remember what happens? A storm comes up. And these fishermen that did this for a living are afraid they're going to drown. But Jesus walks up to them on the water he had a purpose in it. He wanted to show them that he controlled the weather. Uh, think about Job. Man, Job was doing everything right. Everything was going good. And then God let Satan attack his life. Was it because of something wrong Job had done? No. God wanted to teach him a few more things. And uh, that's, that's what we're going to be looking at in, in, as we get in here. But my, my cancer journey began in, in 2017. 
and uh, followed by four more surgeon surgeries. They pretty much have said there's no more surgery possible. Uh, this Friday, I have a uh, MRI and blood work done and see the oncologist at Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville. And uh, after my previous surgeries, it took about a year for them to be able to see the cancer starting to form again. And uh, this will be my one-year checkup. So it's uh, something that we're just seeking the Lord. Well, God, you got a plan for me in this? It'd be neat if you decided to heal me this time. But if he doesn't, he's still God. He's still in control, and he has a purpose for it. Uh, there were four things that the doctors told me could uh, cause my type of cancer. Drinking, smoking, being overweight, and stress. Well, I've never drank or smoked. I am a little bit overweight, more so since all the medications they give you. You know, it's one of the tricks that the, the doctors have. They give you medication to make you gain weight because the longer you live, the better it looks like their treatments are working. Uh, but the fourth one, stress, is one of the things that, that I just hadn't been able to, to give up. Now, we have a quadriplegic daughter, and there's a, a certain amount of stress and caring for her and meeting her needs. Uh, last week, she or last year, she spent six weeks in ICU in Jackson or in Jacksonville in Louisville, Kentucky. We weren't sure if she was going to live or die, but folks prayed. And I tell you, God did a remarkable thing in her life. They they put a vent in her, and they said she'll probably never get it out. And yet, seven weeks after she started, she got the vent out. Um, she had a, a trach, and eventually was able to get that out as well. Uh, just some great things that, that we've seen God do and answer to prayer. He's still a God answering prayer. But to get rid of some of the stress in my life, I, I let our leadership team know uh, about a year and a half ago that I needed to step back from all my leadership positions, all of my positions of authority. I was, I was in our, our overall leadership team that, that dealt with a myriad of, of problems and issues. And when you have folks that are aging and you're caring for them, there's a lot of things that come up and, and, uh, it's, it's stressful to deal with folks that are, that are aging. Uh, I'm on a volunteer team. We have 35 or so couples that come in through the, through the winter. And, and I gave that up our contingency team. And, and, uh, what do you do when you have active shooters and all that kind of training that, that coming in, um, our grounds team, uh, building contractor and roofing contractor and mold remediator and assessor and lead and all all of these areas of authority we've backed out and it's it's been exciting to see how god's been providing for that but um i just want to become a worker bee and let somebody else tell me what to do actually my what i've been doing hasn't changed much the planning and designing of the projects that we'll do next year been helping the guy that's that'll be taking over for me to to be able to make some wise decisions and, and to try and keep him from over being overwhelmed. But it's a lot of work when you're taking care of the other staff and 30-some other couples that come through and, and making sure they all know what to do and how to do it. When you face cancer, you're faced with some decisions. The first one is, I'm, am I ready for, to die? People, if you're here today and play in church and think that that's going to get you to heaven, it won't. Uh, walking down an aisle, feeling some uh, emotional euphoria, praying a magic prayer down front here, 
being baptized, giving money, whatever you think it is, if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, the one who died and was buried and rose again for your sin, there's you're just truly mistaken. There's one way, and that's through Jesus Christ, and not by what we've done. There's nothing better than to know that you're ready to die. And uh, some of the questions I've had to ask myself, in fact, the first thing, really, if, as I got cancer, that God brought to my heart, almost, almost like he was speaking to me, just so, so strong in my heart, I felt, do I really believe God is sovereign? Here, I got cancer. It, the statistics were three to five years. Do I really believe God is sovereign? Absolutely. Well, then he's... <laughs> Then I had to ask myself, does God really love me? Well, if I'm going to believe God's word, I know absolutely that he loves me. And then do I believe that God can be glorified by the way I face these things? So I found it's a gift from God to be able to face cancer and to be able to rejoice in our creator, knowing that everything that he's brought into my life is because of his love for me. And it may sound morbid, but I've, I've prepared most of the information I need for my wife when, when they prepare a memorial service. I don't know when that will be, but um, as, as you face death, you, you think of some of those things. Jesus never faced cancer, and I doubt if he asked himself the same questions I did. But Jesus knew his time was coming. He knew the day of his death, and he didn't stop living. He lived it with gusto. And he went out and he unashamedly taught the truth. Now, turn, if you would, to John chapter 15. This comes about after a brutal week of ministry that Jesus had with the scribes and Pharisees and, and everyone coming and trying to trick him up and find a reason to accuse him. They finally gave up with all that and they go out to find false witnesses. But Jesus and his disciples go to the upper room to celebrate the Passover. Pastor John, have you ever had a Seder meal here, the Passover meal? If you can find someone that puts those on, I really encourage you to do that, to, to see all the things in that Passover meal and how they point to Jesus Christ. It is, it is a really, really neat thing. I've had the opportunity to do that once, and I'd do it again in a heartbeat if I had the chance. But anyway, Jesus and his 11... Or, Jesus and the 12 disciples had gotten away from all the throngs of ministry and got alone in the upper room. And Jesus spends a little bit of time with them. And, and then he knows he's about to die, and he sends out Judas. He says, Judas, go out and do what you got to do. And he knew he was going to round up the religious nuts that were going to arrest him and try him using false witnesses and scorn him and humiliate him beat him and spit on him and tie him naked to a tree and nail him naked to a tree. So Jesus sends out Judas and he's left with just the 11 disciples that faithfully love him. And when I realized these were Christ's final words to me, it made this passage take on a little bit more meaning to me. So what are the final things that I want to share with my family and loved ones? And uh, John 15, Jesus and the 11 disciples are leaving the upper room and they're starting to walk to the garden. And uh, one of the most likely routes would have taken them past Herod's temple 
And across the top of the massive door of the temple was this huge golden vine with clusters of grapes the size of a man hanging down from the vine. The historian Josephus said it filled spectators with wonder at just how large it was. And being a Passover, it would have been the new moon, and then they had had a, a full moon shining down, reflecting on this. We don't know for sure that that's exactly where they were, but, but quite often Jesus used visible examples to teach a spiritual truth. And so this is, this is where we find Jesus talking with the 11 faithful disciples in John 15, verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now are you clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into a fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it will be done to you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so that you be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Now, I'm not a theologian. I don't have three points in a poem. But I want to just share some practical truths of what the Lord showed me through this. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would calm my heart and speak through me. Allow me to, to speak for some of these things that you've taught my heart and, and revealed the joy of the things that, that I've seen in the truth of your word. And so we praise you, Lord, and look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, perhaps I love this passage because of my love of gardening. I hated it as I was a kid. My sister can probably attest to that. She's here with us this morning. Um, I remember being in green tomato fights with my brothers in the garden and griping and complaining about having to weed and pick. And, but somehow as I became an adult, I, I love gardening. Um, it seemed like our family survived off in the garden all summer and we canned for the winter. And But... As I've become an adult, I, I love gardening. And, and I tried growing grapes once. It wasn't really my finest moment, but I gave it a try. Uh, but Jesus said, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. When Jesus says, I am, it wasn't a flippant word, choice of words that he used. Jesus loved to use analogies to help others understand. He said, I am the creator, the owner, the sustainer of life. I am that I am. I need no one to help me. When Jesus was physical, physically thirsty when he went to the well in Samaria, but it wasn't for the water that he went. He told his disciples, I must needs go through Samaria. There were lots of places for Jesus to get water. 
But Jesus knew it was there that he'd meet the Samaritan woman and be able to share with him that I am the living water. After feeding the 5,000, he told his disciples, I am the bread of life. He told them as long as they sought him, they would never hunger for truth. Jesus also said, I'm the light of the world. The woman that was caught in adultery and the men wanted to stone her. Jesus told his disciples then, when you follow the light, you won't walk in darkness. Jesus said, I'm the gate. Just as there was one door into the ark for Noah to enter, so there's one door into heaven. There's one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. As many religions as want us to try and and, uh, co-join with them and say, yeah, anything is good, all is good. There's many roads to heaven. Jesus said, no, there's one way, and it's only through Christ. And then Jesus goes on to say, I am the resurrection and the life. That's just a drop in the bucket of what we have here. When we think of the resurrection and what's ahead of us. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to heaven except me. But here he says, I'm the true vine. And that leaves it open that there's a fake vine. And yes, Satan tries to mimic God in so many things. Even even in the end, in in the tribulation time, Satan has his, his ungodly trinity, the Satan, the Antichrist, and a false prophet joined together to try and mimic the unity that there is in heaven. But they will never come to the power of God. Satan would have us believe that we can produce good fruit in our own strength through our flesh. God says it's a lot different. As we follow our flesh, we produce fruit, the fruit of ungodliness. It's nothing that God is looking for. But we can produce fruit in our flesh as we are in the true vine. And Jesus said that God the Father is the husbandman. He's the one that tends the garden. He's the one that lovingly takes care of the vine and the branches. God is the one that's working to mature us so we can produce everlasting fruit. So it's a simple analogy that Jesus starts with to teach his disciples. He goes on in verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it would bring forth more fruit. Every branch in me. He uses this phrase over and over. And and, I encourage you, if you write in your Bible, mark in your Bible, to mark the times that, that Jesus uses this in those few verses. When we trust Christ as our Savior, we're grafted into the living vine. Why do you graft something? So it'll produce better fruit. Most of the Florida oranges are all grafted into a better rootstock of their own. The, the oranges wouldn't survive the harsh environment of Florida. But the rootstock, however, is hardy enough to provide the nutrition and to make the oranges produce good fruit. And we're grafted into Christ so that we too can produce fruit. Jesus has every branch in me. To be in Christ starts with believing in Christ. If we have not trusted Christ as our Savior, we cannot be in Christ. We can try and put on a good show. It's, it's real easy to dress up and come to church, put a smile on your face and pretend everything is right. I'm not going to ask for hands of how many people do that, uh, but I know I have more than once. But Jesus is referring more than being a Christian. 
is referring to Christians being in Christ in that day-to-day, moment-by-moment walk. He wants more for us than just being a Christian. He wants our joy to be full. As a believer, the penalty of our sin is gone. There's no question to that. But how many of you still struggle with sin in your life? No, don't raise your hand. Every hand should go up, but I don't want to embarrass you. Because... There are some people that think that, no, I don't, I don't sin after, after I get saved. And uh, I'll, I'll share a little bit about that in a minute here. But the most miserable person in the world is not an unbeliever. They enjoy their sin, and, and uh, they don't know anything better. The most miserable person in the world is a Christian who knows better and knows what it is to live a forgiven life and to walk in fellowship with God. And when you're not... You're miserable. And, and uh, you know, it's almost humorous. I, I was saved when I was a little kid. Um, different stories of when I got saved. But uh, Camp Michael, I made sure when I was 12. And, and uh, when I was 13, the Lord challenged my heart to live for him. And I said, all right, God, I'll do whatever, go whatever, say whatever you would have for me. And uh, he, he held my feet to the fire when I got saved, or as, when I graduated high school, and he led me off into, into Bible school and a missions training. But our flesh in, in Christ are absolutely contrary to each other. They, they, you, our flesh can never produce anything good. There's only one solution to the flesh, and that's to crucify it. But if we're not in Christ, we can produce nothing worthwhile. I, I, I don't want to show a hands for this, but when you got up this morning, how long was it before you thought of the Lord? How long was it before you talked to him and realized he wants to enjoy the day with you and walk hand in hand with you? How, how long was it before you said, thank you, Lord, for giving me another day? I don't know about you, but it's real easy for me to jump up and go about the tasks that I have to do and leave God out of the picture. And that's not what he wants for us. But Jesus says, every branch in me... Oops, there is a clock, okay. <laughs> every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And that, that verse bothered me when I was a kid. I... It, it seems like uh, we get saved, and, and if we don't produce fruit for God, then, then he's just going to jerk us away and throw us on the pile to dry up. And uh, it was beautiful when I understood what this is really talking about. Remember, he's talking about the branches that are in him. These are believers that are not bearing fruit he taketh away. Well, what's, what's he take away? The, word, the, the Greek word means to lift up and to raise up. It's, it's used for drawing a ship out of the water so that they can repair the ship and make it worthy to be sailing in the water. It's used of pulling stones up out of, the, out of a field so that the field can be usable and profitable for planting crops. We as a branch cannot bear fruit in our flesh. And as the branch drips down into the, to the soil, it, it's likely to get diseases and to rot. It tries to root of itself and all of its energy goes into the rooting of this vine and it doesn't produce any fruit because it's trying to become the vine and it's a branch. 
My brother Marvin lives out in Phoenix, Arizona, and lined up and down both sides of his streets are these beautiful orange trees. They, they keep them well-trimmed, and the, the trunks are painted white, and they, they have a, an orange that's about this big, beautiful, bright orange color. And uh, you, you, they, you pick it and smell it. It smells so good. They peel really easy for an orange. You put one of those in your mouth and you think your tongue is going to come out the backside of your head. They are so bitter. They're, you can't put enough sugar with it to make orange juice. They're, they're absolutely worthless. And that's just like the fruit of our flesh. We think we're showing off something really good. But when we are in Christ, when our hearts are in Christ, that's the kind of fruit that we produce. It's, it's not what God would have for us into that dirt and we try doing things as ourselves he lifts us up he takes us away from the dirt and raises us onto the trellis so that we can produce good fruit and every branch of me that beareth not fruit he takes away and every branch that beareth fruit you know bearing fruit is the goal of any garden if we don't bear fruit God lifts us up so we can bear more, more fruit. But fruit is what we want when we plant a garden. Now, we can get into this concept whether a tomato is a fruit or a vegetable. But fruit, the general consensus uh, is, oh, I'll let you decide that. <laughs> but you all plant in the spring, all right? In Florida, we have uh, two growing seasons, the fall and, and early spring, winter, really. Uh, the only thing that grows in the summer down there are collard greens and that's, a, that's an acquired taste if you haven't ever had them. But anyway, we till the garden, we take out the rocks, we, we throw out the weeds, uh, we, we plant the seeds in rows, and we faithfully water them and care for them, and we watch as little plants sprout up, and we wait patiently for them to produce. Now, if you planted a garden and, and you got one tomato from your tomato plant, how happy would you be? You'd be kind of disappointed, wouldn't you? What if you got one zucchini? Now, some of you might like that. Cause <laughs> uh, so, so what is fruit in our life? We know what fruit in a garden is. What is fruit in our life? An apple tree produces apples. A fig tree produces figs. A grapevine produces grapes. But it's not much different when it comes to people. Good fruit in our lives comes when we abide in Christ. When the angel appeared to Mary, she wasn't producing grapes. Her fruit was being obedient to the message that God gave her. And when she went to see Elizabeth, Elizabeth said, Blessed is the fruit of your loins. Paul sought the fruit of winning souls, and he went out for the purpose of sharing Christ. The Macedonians had the fruit of giving. Oh, sometimes we say, oh, I don't give enough. I, I don't make enough money to give. And... God doesn't need our money. He wants our hearts. Where is our heart? Is it in Christ? Jesus said you won't lose your reward if you give a cup of water. I think back to Camp Michael when I was a young man, when I was a kid, and there was a, a young man came. I, I figured he was an old man. Anybody 40 and over was an old man by that time. But anyway, Ted Dollarhite showed up. I don't know if any of you remember him or not, but he, he said uh, he might have had a fifth grade education. He said, I'm not very smart. I don't have much money, but I got a strong back. Do you think God can use me? And Ted came faithfully year after year for the rest of the time I can remember and mowed grass 
That wasn't an easy task with how rough those fields were. But Ted produced the fruit of mowing grass. But good fruit is shown in our love for each other. That was a mark of a believer, is to show love. And, and, and Jesus gets to that in the end here. But abiding in Christ allows the Holy Spirit to, to produce fruit through our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And Ephesians tells us that the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. It's interesting that it's called the fruit of the Spirit, but the works of the flesh. As we're in Christ, the things we do by Christ are fruit. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. But as we walk in our flesh, when we have unconfessed sin in our lives, anything that we produce is worthless. Absolutely worthless. And there's just a little bit more to, to verse 2. It says, And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, so that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, purgeth isn't in my normal vocabulary. The New King James and some other translations translate that as prune, which is, which is a really good word for what Christ is talking about. But it doesn't quite get the whole meaning of what Jesus is saying. He kind of used a double-meaning word here. It does mean to cut back an unwanted part of the vine, but it also means to cleanse from filth and to purify without spot. The author of Hebrews uses that same word and says to be purged from sin. Have the sin cut out of our life so that we can walk godly. Without pruning, the grape clusters aren't going to be as good. The vine produces too many leaves and the fruit grows small. And a good vine keeper knows that they have to trim back some of those unwanted branches so that the fruit can grow big. And our, We've been forgiven of our sin once and for all. And our, our position is not in question. Here, Christ is talking about the fellowship that we can have. That's the issue. The daily communion with an almighty God in our lives. And, and I'm at awe when I stop and think how an almighty God can love this speck of dirt. And yet he does. He doesn't just love me. He wants me to daily, moment by moment, talk to him, to enjoy his presence we all know Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good. And we usually end right there. But I encourage you to read the rest of, to the rest of Romans 8 from there on. Because he goes on to say, yeah, these things work together for good because God is conforming us to his image. There's going to be pain when we lose our jobs. There's going to be pain when a loved one dies. When we're facing cancer, when our neuropathy is unbearable, when... When our teeth fall out, when, when we can't hear, there's going to be pain as we go through those things. But God is using those things to conform us to the image of Christ. But the last part of Romans 8 ends, even though you're going through that pain and all that suffering, nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from God's love. And he goes on to remind us of that. We're going to be conformed. That's his purpose in our life. But nothing can separate us from his love as we're going through those things. So God the Father is pruning us so that we can bear more fruit. 
So when we're in Christ and we're bearing fruit, that's when he prunes us. So when you, when you face a difficult situation, realize that God loves you enough and he sees enough in you that he wants you to, to produce more. And it's the time to just look at him and love him. I, I praise the Lord for a loving earthly father. Um, I, I didn't care for it too much when I got a spanking. Uh, but the scripture tells us whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Hebrews says, for whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges every son he receives. He wants to conform us to the image of his son so that we can begin to experience the love and the joy that he has in mind for us. Hebrews tells us that all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness. Pruning in our lives brings forth fruit. It's not easy. It's not fun. You know, as I have gone through cancer, the, the first thing God challenged my heart with, do you believe I'm in control? Absolutely. Do you believe I'm sovereign in everything? If I answer yes to that, then there's absolutely nothing that I can worry about. Now, there might be a bunch of things in the future that I don't want to face. There's going to be things in the future that aren't going to be fun. But there's nothing I have to worry about if I truly believe God is sovereign in everything. And he is in control. And I know he still loves me. So now you are clean through the words that I have spoken to you. Now, back in chapter 13, Jesus said this same, very same thing. But he added, but not one of you. That's because Judas was still with them. Judas was not a believer. But when we're saved, we're washed in the blood of the Lamb and we're cleansed. That is our position in Christ. Practically, however, we're still being sanctified. Um, the this, this same thought of cleansing is used in other places. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by his word. We need to be cleansed by the reading of God's word. We need to be in it ourselves. Pastor John teaches the truth but we need more than Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We need to be in it ourselves and let God speak to us directly, not have pre-chewed food. I love this in, in Revelation. It says, And to the church it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. That's our wedding clothes, folks. As we live in Christ and produce righteousness, these are the things that we'll be clothed with when we face the marriage feast of the land. God cleans us up and sends us out so we can produce good fruit. Got to keep on here. As, we, as you abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I, when I see a phrase like that, I say, how, how can I abide in Christ? He tells us to do it, so there's got to be a way to do it. And uh, it's, it's the same as our walk with the Lord. Some say it's the same as when we make Christ Lord of our life. 
I know many times in the invitation we say, come and make Christ Savior and Lord of your life, but far too often we make him our Savior, but we don't make him Lord. We don't let him have control of everything in our life. We, we close off different doors in our hearts and say, no, God, you can't have access to that. But he wants to cleanse every part of us and work with us. I, I was in a Bible study group with a man named Kevin Fletcher. He grew up in a fundamental church since he was a, a kid, Trusted the Lord as an early age. He didn't understand the, the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. And so when I talked about walking with the Lord, he just, he struggled to, to understand what that was about. And, and finally we came to this passage in John 15 and, and the lights went on. And he said, man, it's simple. Abiding is our relationship with Christ. Um, it has the meaning of remaining or living continuing with someone, dwelling, staying. We can understand those type of things. I love how dictionary.com defines abiding. It's acting in accord with, submitting to, and agreeing with, remaining steadfast and faithful. That's what abiding is, just being with our Savior Jesus Christ in a moment-by-moment basis. Um. God has given me a really good friend. He was the owner of a multi-million dollar air conditioning company in Florida. And we actually have very little in common, but for some reason we hit it off. We just enjoyed spending time with each other. And, and his office was right in the middle of a business area where I would have to go and purchase a lot of building supplies. And, and so I would always try and time my trips at lunchtime so I could have lunch with them and, and just spend down and get down together and talk with them. And... I thought it was really neat as I got to know him. Here there's little me and nobody walking into the office of the president of this huge company. And I could just walk past everybody and they knew because I was his friend, I belong there. Nobody stopped me. Man, that's, that's a pretty neat thing, but that's exactly how it is with God the Father. We can enter into the very throne room of grace and crawl up on God the Father's lap and say, thank you, Daddy, for loving us. Thank you for loving me. That's the same type of thing that Jesus is speaking about here as we abide in him. It's his desire for us just to spend time with him and enjoy him. And God Almighty wants just that personal relationship with us. When we love someone, we want to spend time with them, go places and do things, and so does Christ. He wants to go with us when we go to the grocery store. He wants to go with us when we're pumping gas in our car when we go to work. He wants to get up with us in the middle of the night when you have a screaming kid. He wants us to be there with him. He wants us to talk to him. But the thing that gets in our way of abiding with Christ is what the Bible calls our flesh. I enjoyed the songs this morning, the things the ladies had to share. Yeah, we, we like to walk around in our flesh and we get up each morning and put on our fig leaf and try and produce fruit of ourselves. It doesn't work that way. We need to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And uh, as we abide in Christ, we're cleansed. If, if you would turn to 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Oh, and I guess I'll close with this little thought. And it says... In the Old Testament, there were things that were set apart for worship. They were cleansed and dedicated to be used only for serving God. They were touched, if they were touched by someone unclean, 
unfit, that wasn't supposed to be there. They were defiled. They had to be taken out and cleansed and sanctified again for God's use to be holy. Um, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But, in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. When we trust Christ as our Savior, we are cleansed and made holy. But sin, our flesh, gets in and defiles that relationship that we have. I told you about a man I knew that, well, I didn't know him personally, but I read a book, great book on grace. It helped me understand some fantastic things about Christ. But he thought, after we were saved, we never sinned. Well, if we say we've never sinned, then you're making God a liar. And I don't know how many of you would want to want to do that. Well, I don't. But in verse 9, he says, If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All the rest of the filth in our life that he's not yet revealed from us, he's cleansing us and making us holy so we can have fellowship with the holy God. You go back to verse 7. As we're walking in the light, as we follow the truth that he's shown us, he's forgiving us moment by moment. He's cleansing us from all un unrighteousness. He's making us holy. When we follow the truth that he's shown us, he's allowing us the privilege of entering into his holy presence. And we can abide with him moment by moment. And as we abide with him, the things that we do are producing good fruit and much fruit as God desires of us. And so as we, we think about these things, search your heart. Are you abiding with Christ? Are you producing good fruit? Or are you trying to clean up your flesh and, and do, do some good things so you look good to those around us? You know, we can fool each other. It's, it's real easy to, to do that. I can take a shower and put on clean clothes and plaster, plaster a smile on my face and everybody thinks life is good. But God knows my heart. He wants us to, to have a joy in our heart as we produce the fruit. It shouldn't be a drudgery living for the Lord. It should be exciting moment after moment to realize that this almighty God wants a personal, intimate relationship with us in all that we do. So, Pastor, I'll let you take it from here. And Amen. Well, I'm going to ask you, let's have a word of prayer. You know, we're going to have a time of invitation. And I really don't want to add anything to what we just heard. But I'm going to challenge you and encourage you, this invitation, would you come and make Jesus not only your Savior, but as we were encouraged, our Lord. And would we abide in him and ask, Lord, help me to abide in you as you desire me to be your disciple. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to, to walk through 
this amazing chapter in John 15 to be exposed to such truth that you call us to abide with you is such a joy. Lord, we know our hearts, we know our brokenness and our sinfulness. We are not worthy of abiding in you and walking with you, but yet by your grace and through faith, we've been offered an invitation of salvation that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That anyone who trusts in Christ, repenting or turning from their sins and believing that you died on the cross, was buried and rose again for them, if they make that decision in a pureness of heart, crying out to you, you will forgive them of their sin and you will offer them eternal life. And in that eternal life is a relationship as we've heard about this morning. And so Lord, I pray that you'd help all of us, myself included, to examine and evaluate our standing with you. First, do we know Christ? Have we personally received Christ for ourselves or have we merely just attended church or thought because our parents were saved that we were fine, that we do good things and so therefore outweighs our bad and Lord, there's all many different kinds of lies and deceptions we tell ourselves. But the truth is, Lord, do we know you? Do we personally know Christ? And so, Father, if we do know you and we've made that decision by your grace to be saved, then we ask, are we abiding in you? Are we walking with you daily in the spirit, surrendering to you those moments, those decisions that we'd strive to see fruit produced, not for our glory, but for your glory and the blessing of others? that somebody else would come to know Christ. And so, Father, in all these things, would you work in our hearts and minds? And thank you so much for Brother C coming this morning. Lord, for a man to go through what he's gone through these last so many years, to stand and say that he definitively knows you love him and you care for him and you have a plan and a purpose in all of this by your sovereign will. Lord, what a testimony of how you're working And he's not a robo-Christian or a super-Christian. Lord, we know he's just like anyone else, just an ordinary man, a follower of Christ. But you're using him in extraordinary ways. And so help us to ask those questions of ourselves. Are we ready to see you? If today was the day, would we be ready to step from this world and be in your presence? Would we be ushered in, forgiven of our sin? Do we know that you have a plan and a purpose in our lives? And do we trust that you love us? And so, Lord, would you work in all of these things so that you would be glorified. Thank you, Father, for this morning and for your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we sing a song of invitation? Would you respond as the Lord has led? Do you know Christ? If you know Christ as your Savior, are you abiding in him? Or would you come this morning and say, Lord, stir my heart that I would walk with you in honesty and genuine relationship. Whatever God is doing, would you come and pray? Would you respond this morning?